1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at Mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at Mintmobile.com.
0: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on c 103
3: Cork's greatest here. A very good
4: morning to you. Let me stay with the weather for a moment because it really is a wet and a miserable start uh, to the week. And of course, we've got this Hurricane Lorenzo that could hit Ireland with winds and very heavy rainfall. And if it's to hit Ireland, there 's uh, met Erin. And the weather experts are telling us it'll hit probably from around uh, Thursday. Now, Met Aaron say that they are very carefully monitoring and watching the progress of what at the moment is the most powerful storm ever monitored so far north. And the worry is that it is early in the hurricane uh, season. They are carefully monitoring, this is Met Aaron, both the storm path and its wind strength and, you know, the whole... Hope is that it might veer off and veer away and miss us completely. At the moment, we're on target, we're on track to be hit by it. But as we know, with a lot of these storms, they have a tendency to lose strength as they're moving across the Atlantic so that's the hope and the wish and the prayer for Hurricane Lorenzo that it will lose a lot of its uh, danger and its power as it comes across the Atlantic the hurricane is currently near the Azores it's moving at a slow rate uh, but there is major doubt over where it will track over the next 72 uh, hours it's looking now if it stays on target that it's the Connacht Coast We'll get it uh, late on Thursday night, but there's also a risk that all down along the western seaboard, which means part of West Cork, could be hit uh, as well Thursday night into the early hours of uh, Friday morning. there will have unsettled conditions for today and tomorrow with these heavy showers that I mentioned there, even though it should clear up uh, later on into the afternoon, but more heavy showers for tomorrow. Wednesday though is going to be fairly, uh, kind of a nice day they're saying, a bright dry day with temperatures of around 15 degrees and by Wednesday we will be into October which is kind of 15 degrees, it's kind of mild isn't it uh, for October? Anyway a very good morning uh, to you and it is good to be back I have to say I had a wonderful, wonderful two weeks away myself himself and uh, Marsha, we went away and we had one of those Fantastic holidays that we've never really done before where the three of us went away. We went to the Bahamas. I'd never been to the Bahamas before, a trip we'd been planning for nearly a year, I would say. And then two weeks out of going, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas and there was the sense of, oh, my goodness, what are we doing? Where are we going? Are we going? We were very lucky, though in that the island that we were travelling to hadn't been affected by Hurricane Dorian but the two of its closest islands Abaco and Grand Bahama had been had been hit and hit really badly Abaco that little island of Abaco which I'd never heard of before Hurricane Dorian I, I now know it so well uh, was absolutely devastated by the hurricane and then you know we had the realisation that we were going to be okay that the island we were going to was fine but then you were thinking God you know are we going going to uh, an island where there's going to be so many refugees from from Abaco and you're thinking you're there having a wonderful holiday and thinking close by you've got all of these refugees uh, who have no homes to go to and there's a sense of oh you know will you be able to enjoy yourself thinking of these other people and the devastation that they are now facing and then I suppose about a week out of going I started seeing tweets and other social media posts from the Bahamas saying to tourists, please come. You know, we need your money now more than ever. And the Bahamas are... A series of 700 islands, again, was something I didn't realise there was that many islands. I mean, many of them wouldn't be um, habitable, but uh, but the ones that are, they're 80% reliant on tourism. And what was lovely when we did go, and as I say, to an island that was completely unaffected by Hurricane Dorian, the amount of people from the Bahamas who thanked us for coming. Was, was terrific and was saying get that message out to people please we need to rebuild Abaco, we need to build Grand Bahama and we can only do that by the money we generate from uh, tourism. So that made me feel I have to say a little, a little bit better and the Bahamian people themselves are just the most wonderful kind, friendly People, they are just incredible, and their kindness, in particular, to our special daughter, was was just wonderful. It was it was emotional at times to see how gentle and kind uh, they were, and, and inquisitive, and and asking all the right questions. You know, they they really were lovely. And actually, I had one funny moment where I was talking with uh, a young Bahamian uh, lady who was working in the spa. It was a lovely spa. I was taking Marcia for massages and facials, which she was really enjoying. And when they heard that we were from Ireland, this young, I would say only in her 20s, when I said we were from Ireland, she said, you know, and wide eyed, is it true that people in Ireland are born with red hair? And I said yeah and she had really red hair so I ended up having my phone with me and I have three beautiful nieces uh, two of which have gorgeous red hair so I was able to show her their photographs and she said do you mind if I show this <laughs> uh, to one of the other girls they could not believe that people are actually born with uh, red hair do You know, they, we think nothing of it here uh, but it was lovely it was a really great trip and we enjoyed every single moment of it even if six of the days we weren't able to access the beach and we deliberately picked this uh, hotel and resort because it was on the beach so because Marcia wanted her to, you know, to be able to experience that gorgeous sand and the sea and the aquamarine warm water. Oh, something magical about it. And unfortunately for six of the days because of tropical storm activity we couldn't get on to the beach but even allowing for all of that and even allowing for for two days we barely got outside the hotel because it rained so much we just relaxed and enjoyed ourselves ourselves, and had family time and just spent time together and spent time recharging the batteries which I think is uh, important and uh, and I've come back uh, refreshed even though a little bit tired from the jet lag whatever it is about jet lag it always takes me I think a full week to get properly over it. So my apologies if I'm pressing wrong buttons today. But then I always, a bit like that, my first day back, you're sort of getting, oh, what am I meant to be doing next? Um, and great to get back after a very long travelling, about 22 hours, I think, door to door from when we left the hotel until we put the key inside our own front door. Quick cup of tea, that cup of tea in your own kitchen. And then climbed up the stairs to uh, to bed and then getting into your own bed. There is nothing like it in the world. No matter where you stay, you can stay in the poshest of hotels and stay in the most comfortable beds but you get into your own bed with your own pillows and your own duvet and oh, it's wonderful. It really is great. So thank you to John Paul. Uh, who fell in while I was away and had a cracker of a two weeks. So I was catching up on all of the stuff uh, he was doing it uh, doing, it and he really had some uh, terrific interviews, including hearing that uh, Jim Daly, the junior minister from West Cork, has decided not to he's not going to run in the next election and I think doing it for all of the right reasons he's got a young family and missing out on on time with his family and their precious years that he will never get back and has decided enough is enough I need to spend time with my children so I think that's an honourable thing to do and it's one of the things I always feel about politicians and while people you know, give out about politicians. And and I genuinely hand on heart believe that people go into politics for all the right reasons and they go into politics to try to make a difference and to try to help people. The majority, there will always be the few who just think it's an easy way to make money. I certainly don't see it as an easy way to make money. I think it's a really, really tough job. And I think families lose out and they lose out on precious time with their, their parents and Uh, and so you know I have great respect and admiration for uh, for all politicians so we wish um, Jim Daly. now he he remains as a junior minister until the next uh, election but he's not uh, going to uh, to go forward so it was a really good interview that he did with uh, John Paul while I was away and I also managed to hear because I was back on Friday the interview with um, Minister uh, Michael Creed there is a man who has a tough tough portfolio at the moment uh, as well uh, so that was, a, I thought, a, a cracker of an interview and a wonderful, wonderful outside broadcast for from the McCroom Food Festival, which sounded like a great bit of fun and I was catching up on social media seeing the photographs of the food looked absolutely terrific. So well done to John Paul and to Bernie for holding the fort while I was away. But I'm back and uh, we welcome your thoughts and comments throughout the morning, 1850, 333103. Actually, we've already had a caller on to us this morning, this was uh, David. He couldn't join us live on air. So we did a, a quick record piece uh, with him because this is the issue of potholes. And here we are. We are the on the last day of September into October tomorrow. Heavy rains with us today. I've already been talking about this hurricane Lorenzo, looking like we're going to get more heavy rain. We know what heavy rain does to our roads and potholes, and you kind of think the summer. Now we haven't had the best summer in the world, let's be honest. But the summer months are the months you're hoping that if there's any work to be done on the roads, particularly work like potholes, work will be conducted. I don't know how many potholes were filled in over the summer months, but here's what Dave had to say. Uh, this was just before we came on air at at ten. Would you
2: put a Comment there, please, on your program about the potholes and the bad roads there around the Mataha, Brinair area. There's there's a few potholes in the road here now this morning. I'm after hitting him. I just threw the measuring tape into one of the potholes now, and it's oh, six and a
5: half inches deep, full of water. I'm after I'm after bursting a tyre here to morning. Pouring out of the heavens here, I'm just after changing a tyre inside the road. Uh, a, a tire is early,
2: and I said two months. Oh. These potholes are there is that the locals or somebody has actually put a cone in the potholes here uh, and they're fine you can see the cones some people are good enough to stand it's very 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 bad and, uh, and it, it, they're the ones you see but this morning you, you can't see them because they're full of water.
4: And nothing worse on a Monday morning you're starting your week and to hear Dave describe there, to hit a pothole, burst a tyre, a tyre that's only two months old and then out in the pouring rain having to change uh, the tyre. Goodness me. So if anybody else wants to report pothole stories to us this morning or if you've come across particularly bad potholes, can you let us know so that we can give it a mention, we can let other people know, give out the word warnings but people just you need to be careful. And Dave is right, because there's been a lot of rain, and when the pothole fills up with water you're driving along you don't notice that it's a very deep pothole and then if you hit it and if you hit it, it you know, I, I, was, I was about to say if you hit it at any kind of speed but if you have a very deep pothole uh, no matter what speed fast or slow you're going at you're going to do damage to your tyre or to your wheel. so drive with care please. 1850 103 let's get a pothole list going this morning. Now coming up on the programme uh, today, uh, in the between 11 and 12 this morning, I'm going to be joined in studio by the wonderful Colum Keane and his uh, wonderful wife, Una O'Hagan. And of course, people will remember Una O'Hagan. She was a much loved RTE news, uh, TV newsreader. And uh, she's been retired now, was it 2015, 2016? Uh, she retired it'll be interested to chat to her does she miss it uh, anyway they've written another wonderful book they last joined us in studio I think it was was it last year uh, with the book that they had written about uh, Saint Therese Saint Teresa, Saint Therese of Lisieux and they wrote a book all about her outlining Saint Teresa's life and her connections with Ireland and previous to that Colum had written uh, a couple of books about Padre Pio and they've now put the spotlight uh, on Lourdes and St. Bernadette and the Irish connection to Lourdes in a book that they have entitled The Village of Bernadette, The Irish Connection and it's Lourdes, Stories, Miracles and Cures. And actually you think you know a lot. I thought I knew a lot about Bernadette before I started reading this book and there there was a lot in it that I didn't know uh, about her. So it was interesting to read about Bernadette. But it's one of those books that will make you believe in miracles because it outlines very clear miracles that, you know, doctors say this, you know, this person went to Lourdes. In some cases they had cancerous uh, tumours in other cases they had conditions of their limbs that weren't working, that had paralysis and they came back and there's no other explanation, there's no medical explanation as to why this person has been cured and the only thing was that they went to Lourdes and they bathed in the waters. Lourdes of course famous for its uh, waters and there's a really interesting story about how Saint Bernadette discovered the waters uh, in Lourdes, which I'll get Colm and to talk to us about uh, later on. But I want to flag that in advance. If you've ever been to Lourdes, because Lourdes is one of those places, if you speak to anyone that's ever been, I don't think I've ever met somebody that's went to Lourdes that said, oh no, God, I don't want to go back. I think if you speak to anyone that went to Lourdes, they all hate leaving. There's something about the village of Lourdes that makes people want to stay, but always makes people on that promise, I will return, or they hope to return one day. There seems to be something very special and very magical and miraculous about uh, Lourdes. So I want to give advanced warning. And if you know of somebody that is a fan of Lourdes or has been to Lourdes or has devotion to St. Bernadette, will you let them know, please, that after about 20 past 11, 25 past 11, uh, Una O'Hagan and Colum Keane will join us live in studio. And if you've got any Comments to make about Lords get it in. I'm sure Colman would love to hear from you. 1850, three 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 one zero three. The rising cost of childcare costs, and you know this seems to be an issue we've been discussing for many many years, and it just seems to there seems to be no let up and no help to parents who are really struggling to get out to work and to get their children looked after. Many of these parents, particularly the moms, would love to be remaining at home, but in a situation because of the cost of their mortgage, for example, that they need two incomes to come in into the house. But with the rising cost of childcare, they're in situations where they're paying as much, if not more. It's like having a double mortgage. And for some parents, you kind of say to them, but you know, I, I know I would one friend in particular a few years ago who said by the time her childcare was paid, she had two children there. There was a crossover of about a year where she had two children in, in childcare in a creche in the city. And, she, you know, by the time she had it paid, I think she ended up with 50 euro a week. And I said, God, is it really worth it for 50 euro? And she said, it is. And she said, I have to keep in there because she said our mortgage they bought during the boom. She said, our mortgage is so high. I'm not, well, I'm not making much money now. Uh, I know once I get the children into school and I'll only be paying for after school costs, I'll be paying full creche fees. Uh, we'll then be back on track again. But we are going to need both of our incomes. Or we're never going to be able to pay off our mortgage and I just felt so sorry for her because she was working very stressful job at the time and she would so much prefer to have been at home and then to be doing this stressful job and knowing at the end of the week all you had was an extra 50 euro in your back pocket just didn't seem uh, worth it at all uh, bless her heart now she's in a slightly better position now because the children are a little bit older and she only has she still has after school costs but they're obviously not as high as when you have two children inside in the creche so we're going to be looking looking at this huge financial burden for families. We're also going to put a spotlight on the disability sector because they this is another issue that doesn't seem to be going away. They're facing ongoing financial uh, crisis and we're coming up to a budget next week and of course everybody hopes with the budget that they would be uh, looked after. We know that this is not going to be a giveaway budget. I mean the government have got to look at this budget and think about what if we have uh, a really hard Brexit, how we know that it is going to have an effect on on this country So they have, I suppose in some ways, they've got to be sensible and they have to prepare for that. So we're going to speak about the disability uh, sector and their ongoing uh, problems that they are experiencing. And it's Monday. What does that mean? That means that Annalise Drussell will join us after half past 12 today. She'll answer any of your nutritional questions if you have to get them in to us, please. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Thank you to people who are taking time uh, to send in texts and WhatsApps welcoming me back and hoping I had a nice break. I did indeed including Mary uh, who says God, Patricia but the hurricanes are following you around the world. They are when I get back and have uh, Hurricane Lorenzo uh, coming along uh, after me. Please God it won't be too bad and uh, it'll have blown out by the time it reaches uh, our shores. Now on potholes just this is Adrian says just heard your story on the potholes who should pay for the damage should the council be liable? Well we have had people in the past uh, but you need to get photographic evidence to prove that you you know that it was the pothole that caused the accident and you need to get onto the council we have had people who have successfully got the price of the repairs or whatever it was the damage done from the council including our own Bernie who fills in for John Paul when I was away last week John Paul was doing the programme for me and Bernie who fills for John Paul as our assistant uh, producer she had she hit a pothole in North Cork I was heading into Drumahan Village if my memory serves me right and she split a tyre and she got onto the council and she got the cost of I don't know was it a repair or a new tyre um, she's not in the building now to to ask her but yeah but you have to You have to get onto the council but I know you do need to have photographic evidence so you need to take now we all have there was a time where who who was the camera with them but we all have cameras now on our phones so take the pictures take the photographs ASAP and take the photographs of the damage done to your tyre or to your car and there was also a WhatsApp in now this was before I played out Uh, Dave's piece on the radio. This came in after nine to say hi, uh, Patricia, just to let you know, at least nine cars burst tyres on the Cantor to Mallow Road this morning before 7am after hitting a pothole. And this particular texter has sent us on a photograph of the pothole about seven inches deep seven inches deep, hidden by a flood of water on the road. My daughter burst a tyre only two weeks ago and the alloy rim Is like a rugby ball after it. The pothole must be there since Saturday night's heavy rain. Is it not possible that somebody from the council passed that way yesterday? Why did they not report it? A mile down the road a couple of weeks ago, there was a water main leaking on Thursday morning. And it was Saturday morning before the council dug up the road to repair it. Surely that's a huge waste of treated water. Could it not have been done on Thursday night instead of blocking the whole place up on uh, Saturday? Uh, the council workers seem to spend more time doing courses. The pothole has been filled at 8:30. This is the one I'm assuming that you that you sent the picture on that with the, the 9 tower 9 cars burst tyres before 7. So somebody obviously reported it. Council got out there half past eight this morning. The pothole was filled. But this texter says was filled with cold tar because the guard got onto them and stopped the traffic to fill it. The tar won't last until lunchtime. It's totally useless. It's the flood of water with nowhere to go. That's the problem. Who's paying for all of these tires? Again, somebody asking these ta- ca- the, this, this question. Are the council responsible? Yeah. If you've got the photograph of the pothole before And you see, it'll be dated and timed when you take the picture and everything. So you'll have all the evidence there. So I would suggest, yes, you get on to the council. And we did ask that person to join us on air. But they unfortunately, they're driving for a living. They're driving all day. Uh, so not able to take time out to uh, talk to us. But my advice to you is, yes, get on to the council. 1850 333 103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp Oh eight six two. 103, 103. We'll take a break. we will come back to your calls and comments throughout the morning, but we're going to take a break and we're back discussing rising childcare costs in this country.
1: Laura Galga, RC 103. Roguk David Bory, Erin Ochdula, Denar Nedu, Daha Dushaf, Dsasna. Da, Norviche O, Winche Anna hanav, agaistuk, le, Elvis Presley, August Little Richard, Durok Karev, Da Agal Hul Akni Rev. Nirav and David Bowie in Sodga and Tamar Fod. Do Saw Ziggy Stardust in Aduk Shakdo Do. Ogze Narira by A David Jones at Adam Ear. Og She Egg di David Bowie. Nor David Jones Ella partook in some vanakyol the monkeys. Nor David Kug V in Deig Husik She Bonakyol, Arvanum the Conrads. Cred no Nakred, V Cardule Elton John. Nar dollar scol, hæm le horse gumourleach agsaeol, ags banagavac Duncan Jones club lower in an anor. For she boss le helsh a me an sail kiltor untuk a mach gan lashin. Ne blor is mishe podge de pertun o guelscal hamasta Vishmala
5: mala. Cade as Kirkig. This Wednesday on C103's Cork Today show, we'll be speaking with a representative from Awalia. Awalia is a scheme to help homeowners find a resolution to their home mortgage arrears. It provides vouchers for free financial and legal advice and help from experts which are available through MABS. If you have been through the Awalia scheme and would like to share your story or if you're looking for advice, email corktoday at c103.ie. Then listen in this Wednesday at 11.45am only on C103. Cork
4: today on Scene 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 18.50 333 103. Figures released by Minister for Children Catherine Sapone show that childcare is a major cost for most parents and it continues to be a financial burden. Frances Byrne is Director of Policy and Advocacy at Early Childhood Ireland and she says this country lags way behind other European countries when it comes to childcare. And Frances Byrne uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Francis. Good morning, Patricia. And and you're welcome. Now, childcare costs up 3.6% since last year. Now, that's despite Minister Catherine Sapone saying record investment from the government. What do you believe needs to be done to make childcare affordable?
2: Well, in fact, it is record investment, uh, certainly since Minister Sapone took over the Department of Children and Youth Affairs The increase year-on-year is now at 117%, which is obviously really welcome. But the problem we have is she she took on a very low historical base because we have not invested in Ireland in the early years uh, area in childcare, in maternity and paternity leave, um, and indeed in childminders the way that other countries have. So we are bottom of the league, notwithstanding her efforts. Um, And I suppose there are very few social issues that have a simple solution, but certainly from Early Childhood Ireland's perspective, the first place to start in relation to this is to get us uh, back on track in in Ireland, or at least on the track, um, and competing with... Um, Scandinavian countries uh, who are the the world leaders in um, investing yeah, t- in this important space.
4: Talk to me about that. Outline how childcare works in, in the Scandinavian countries. Uh, you know, as you say they're seen as, as best in the world.
2: Yeah so essentially the first thing to know is that we invest about 0.2 of 1% of our gross domestic product and last year Sweden invested 1.9% which is multiples of 0.2 of 1%. And they spend that money, I suppose, in two ways. One is there are standardized levels of quality, a standardized curriculum, a standardized way of training professionals who work in creches um, in, in all of the Scandinavian countries. And the second thing that I suppose qualifies them to be described as the Scandinavian model is that everybody um no matter how poor or how rich or uh no matter what their circumstances pay something there is both a floor in how uh how much people pay or how little people pay rather and a ceiling to how much and that is the Scandinavian model now the national childcare scheme that is coming uh, that parents can start applying for next month and money will start flowing in November that is based on that model Um, on the subsidy side. So everybody will get something regardless of their circumstances, but lower-income families will get a higher subsidy, a higher payment towards paying for childcare. And that's
4: the fairest way.
2: It is the fairest way. However, because of the underlying issue we have, unless the current government and future governments really rapidly um, and very substantially increases subsidies we're not, parents are not going to see huge drops in fees um because our, our under our, we are under investing and that's the problem we have to start increasing investment or parents Will end up picking up the pieces. Somebody has to pay for it. It's expensive, particularly for babies. Um, it's 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 expensive care, and Early Childhood Ireland would argue so it should be. Um, but what happens in our current climate is parents end up with extortionate fees, and the wonderful um, educated professionals in the sector are on very low wages in spite of great efforts by providers to try and pay them and hang on to them because um, of the underinvestment problem. So that's the problem and that's really why parents are left picking up the pieces with, with the highest fees in Europe because we have the lowest investment.
4: All right, Lucy, one of our listeners, who I'm assuming has a child in childcare, says, could you ask your, your expert about the variation in fees? Our expert, by the way, is uh, Francis Byrne uh, from Early Childhood Ireland. Uh, there is wide variation in fees uh, around the country. I mean, I think the lowest came out in Carlo at 148 a week, but the highest then in, in Dunyrie, Rathdown. Over a hundred euro higher, two hundred and fifty one euro a week. How how does can you explain the variation in fees?
2: Well, a lot of research needs to be done on this, and one of the one of the things, our main thing that Early Childhood I- Ireland is asking for in the budget in two weeks' time or in ten days' time, is really uh, for the government to set up a single early years and after school age childcare um, agency, so that we can know the real-time informationing information that's ha- what's happening on the ground. What we would say, though, what our members tell us are that owning or renting premises in um, Dublin and, indeed, uh, Cork and other cities is much higher than it is um, in, in other counties. Um, rates are higher, which... Um, uh, really impacts, particularly um, in the Dublin area. I mean, it was interesting to see that even within Dublin, there is variation. Um, and I guarantee you, Patricia, you will hear from parents today who will say, hold on a minute now, I'm paying even more than that uh, in Cork. And mm. we will hear from providers who are saying, I'm charging less than I know, that. I so know, there's Huge variation, even within communities. And one of the things Early Childhood Ireland is saying is we need a real-time database for parents um, the, the state gathers a lot of information from providers. It's all kept in various places. We would like it under one roof. That's so
4: why that you're providers. calling for a one-stop shop.
2: We are calling for a one-stop shop uh, in the budget um, uh, next week. We think it's really, really important that it's inward-facing so the providers have one form of regulation over them, one form of inspection, but also so that inside the, uh, the agency... There can also be real-time monitoring in local areas. So, for example, if a new factory or a new business opens in Cork, and parents are getting jobs, um, you know, do are there enough crashes in that in that area? Um, what are we going to do to establish them? Are we going to invest capital funding in a particular uh, crash in Cork city so that it can build on another room or develop a new service? So all of that information is available and we think it should be under one roof and similarly parents could then log on and see, get all the information about all the creches um, in their area and not just be relying on inspection reports that sometimes aren't updated for months or word of mouth um, and so on and so forth. So we think that the agency would solve a lot of problems um, and a lot of issues and offer us, um, offer the, the government advice about those local uh, actions that might be needed, as well as the overall national picture about where fees are, where quality is and so on.
4: And the workers, Frances, need to be looked after as well. I mean, SIP2 publishing their study on poverty pay rates, showing you know that experienced childcare workers are leaving their jobs. I think it's something like a 25% turnover of staff. I mean, staff retention is a huge issue.
2: It's a huge issue and a huge challenge for early Childhood Ireland's members. Uh, in Cork and elsewhere, and it becomes particularly, you know, in September when the the, the part time crashes open or the full time reopen for the year, and then after Christmas, um, we always get flooded with calls um, to our um, helpline here for members looking for advice about recruitment and indeed and indeed advice about retention. It's a huge issue, and to be very frank, if ministers upon was to ask Early Childhood Ireland if big investment was coming, what could I do first um, we would say establish this agency and then immediately go about trying to address these issues because not only is it deeply unfair for well educated professionals who are wonderful and carrying out you know a really important job a really important role um, it's also a fact That the quality that's provided is directly linked to the qualifications of staff and how long they stay and all of that. So it's a win-win to invest in staff. It's very, very important. And Early Childhood Ireland would entirely support uh, doing that.
4: Okay. And I was reading Leo Varadkar, who was speaking in Los Angeles. He was given. He was asked his reaction to Catherine Sapone's and her new data on the cost of childcare. And Arthur said. the government is never going to be in a position to provide free childcare for everyone. And he said, in fairness, I don't think the parents expect that, uh, but they just want the government to help. Is that fair enough from him?
2: I think that's fair enough. I mean, I think the the Scandinavian and the Swedish model in particular has taught us that, you know, parents are very happy to pay something towards um, quality uh, early years. Uh, care and education that they can rely on, that they know their children are being well looked after. Um, I I don't think there's any issue about that. The problem we have in Ireland is that obviously um, our parents are paying uh, higher than everybody else. So, you know, we really need the Taoiseach, Minister Zapone, and their Cabinet colleagues to take this very seriously. They have published a very good uh, early years strategy called First Five. And what Early Childhood Ireland is saying is there's got to be a financial plan alongside it. And um, We don't expect any government to deliver this overnight in one budget, but we would love to see a plan to get us to Scandinavian levels. Even if it was going to take 10 years, at least parents would know we would know, our members would know and we could move towards it together and plan for it and absolutely this agency could be at the front of that.
4: Okay, we'll talk again Francis. in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Anytime. Good morning to you. That is uh, Frances Byrne who is Director of Policy and Advocacy at Early Childhood uh, Ireland. Jerry uh, in for Moy says if you can't afford kids then don't have them. Jerry says uh, we raised, I raised mine But now I feel I'll be paying to raise other people's children. When you talk about childcare subsidies, it seems those with large families are the ones who can't afford them. Us workers are paying for everything as a taxpayer. I'm tired of paying all of my taxes. Yet there's some areas of society are always on the take or those who are sitting down doing nothing all day. While the rest of us who go out to work are the ones doing it all and paying all of the higher taxes, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three and on an act of kindness a listener wants to say thank you to the person who found his son's wallet in Canturk on Saturday night. Now the wallet actually contained cash and bank cards and whoever found it was saying oh what am I going to do with this? So what did they do? They pushed it through the priest's letterbox knowing that the priest would be an honest person and would surely know everybody around the town and that the priest will be able to find out who was the owner of the lost wallet with cash and uh, cards and whoever did it was right because it was successfully returned uh, to the owner. No, I don't have any names or anything on that but uh, whoever the person is themselves they'll know who we're talking about. If you found a wallet and you put it through the priest's letterbox well done to you and you'll be delighted to know that the young man whose wallet it was it has been successfully returned and, and he's no doubt a happy person. And Mary's also very honest because she, la- she got on to us to say would we give a shout out to a Bank of Ireland bank card that she found. She found it outside the Charleville Park Hotel last Friday evening. Now what she did with the bank card was she just popped back into the reception of the hotel and handed it in there. Now the person who lost it may not realise that it was at the Charleville Park Hotel they lost it. They would just know that they were out and about on Friday and they lost the card somewhere. If you were in and around to the Charleville Park Hotel it's a Bank of Ireland cards. then more than likely it's yours. Pop into the hotel reception and well done to Mary for handing that in.
5: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: We are going to be discussing the latest book from Colum Keane and Uno Hagan will be joining us in uh, studio in the next couple of minutes The Village of Bernadette and it's a book all about Lourdes and I'm asking uh, for people who've been to Lourdes their memories and their thoughts of Lourdes well Ethan in Middleton says the experience every time she travels is unbelievable Eta says I've a special needs daughter who I've taken with me twice Lourdes is so big it's impossible to see the entire place especially on one visit uh, one time Eta said she saw the house where Bernadette had grown up in. She said it was an unbelievable experience. She said I loved it so much I wanted to stay there and that's something that is actually reflected in in this book that we're going to be discussing and if you talk to people there is this sense of when the pilgrimage, the visit comes to an end, nobody wants it to come to an end, everybody wants to remain there and that's why there's that promise of going back and people returning you know, people will go more than once it's this sense of being drawn back to the place so we'll, we'll, we'll tap in and uh, talk to Colin Manuna about that as well. Thank you Eita though for your call to 1850 333 103. I also had a text in earlier this morning. This was um, a situation that happened while I was off last week in that there was a water outage in the Bally Desmond area and a caller was on to us wondering could the reason for the water outage last week, could it happen again and could we get confirmation that it wouldn't happen again? Well Councillor Bernard Moynihan was on to the programme this this morning to say that the, the reason that the water was out in Bally Desmond, that a reoccurrence of that is not expected to happen again in the area. And he just wants us to confirm that to the good people of Bally Desmond. good Glad to do that. And if you've loved ones living in Australia, uh, can you let them know that Cork is going to be appearing on their television screens in the shape of the young offenders the series is starting in Australia on ABC Comedy in Australia this Tuesday tomorrow evening and I kind of I love the young offenders, I have to say. And I'm just wondering how it's going to be received in Australia. Now, the Australians have a great sense of humour. It's going to be terrific for all of the Irish expats living in Australia. And so many in recent years have gone to Australia. It's going to be terrific for them to get to see it in Australia. But I'm just wondering if the Australians themselves, but if, if you have family living in Australia, will you let them know that the young offender is starting there tomorrow night in Australia? A B C. Comedy is the station that uh, people will be looking for if they want to see the young offenders in Australia. And if you're in Bandon, by the way, old photographs from the Bandon area are on view at the Bandon shopping centre. Now, it was the This Is Bandon Facebook group. They've got this collection of photographs uh, together, and now they're absolutely thrilled that they found a home to display the photographs at Bandon Shopping Centre. And they've asked us to give it a mention because they're on display if people want to go along and to uh, see them. eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. Talking about road conditions. Liam said, I was walking yesterday on the Coach Road on the Kilbritton side of Court McSherry. There was cyclists cycling towards me. On the straight part of the road, Liam says, I had to jump into the ditch as they would not and did not pull in to pass me, which is incredible. If you'd stood your ground, would one of them have hit you? Is that what you're saying Uh, happened? So there's again, we hear that time and time again. Not everybody's happy with cyclists on the road. We have to try and share the road with everyone. We need to try and show respect for both the cyclists, the walkers and the people in the cars. And again, the we mentioned potholes, which is what we kicked off the programme with uh, today, lots of people on about potholes, including John, to say, Patricia, the reason for all these potholes is the proper roadside drainage is not being maintained. This job should actually be given to private contractors who would do the job properly. And uh, surely it will be cheaper in the long run, says John. And Tim reckons while we're on the topic of potholes, he wants to highlight an area, Popes Hill in East Cork. He reckons it is the worst road in the county for damaged cars. And he says nobody seems to be bringing it up. Nobody seems to be talking about it. Now, he says this particular road is so bad that the school bus won't travel on it and it's a hill it links Ballantotus to Cloyne and Ballymaloo Pope's Hill he reckons it is the worst road in the county and and I don't know if that has been mentioned on this programme or not before but according to Tim it hasn't so we're glad to give it a mention now thank you for that uh, Tim 1850 and then Michael from Castletown Bear was on to us with quite a lengthy WhatsApp on a topic that I was hoping to mention today so I was glad when I saw Michael's uh, text come in to say very good morning Patricia, welcome back thank you and uh, telling me that John Paul did a sterling job in the seat never ever short of a narrative he's not indeed Anyway Patricia says Michael it is estimated that between 2 and 3,000 people took part in a silent protest in Oocteroord in County Galway last Saturday over the possibility of a direct provision centre being located there to house less than 250 people while their asylum status is being assessed. The questions I would like to put this morning are... Why are people coming all the way across the Sahara Desert? Why are people risking their lives coming across the dangerous Mediterranean Sea in substandard, in many cases non-seaworthy vessels, to come to Europe in the first place? They do it for work and for a better life. A lot of these people are seeking asylum here, are economic migrants. The EU does not provide for economic migrants to come into the EU but let us not forget that we too in this country were once, and were once economic migrants when millions fled our shores. They fled from war, torture, starvation and many of them went in unseaworthy boats. We remember and speak of the coffin ships. They went looking for work and they went simply for food in order to survive. Many never made it. Many died here at home while others died at sea. We should have a debate on this matter. The EU has done nothing for economic migrants. Furthermore, nine people every minute are being forced for their homes. Why? Because of climate change. And a lot of them are coming from sub-Sahara Africa. We should not underestimate the speed in which climate change is roaring towards us here. And if we're not careful, and if we don't bring down our carbon footprint and don't get it under control, then we will also be driven from our lands and homes by climate uh, change but where will we go and that's from Michael in uh, Castle bear and the whole direct provision system was highlighted by the Bishop of Galway who said it is not fit for for purpose and he his intervention now it seems is likely according to the papers today to put further pressure on on the government it is it depends on what commentary you're reading between two and 3,000 people marched in the village of Uhtarod as Michael says on Saturday over this plans for the direct provision centre but the bishop in Galway Brendan Kelly says the current system contributes to deepening ignorance resentment and suspicion and he's now calling on the Department of Justice to engage with locals he said the recent events in in County Galway regarding the proposed location of the direct provision centre in the town he said it's very concerning he said to be clear the Christian way is or is seen to be to be welcoming towards the stranger. He said with regard to the direct provision model, though, he said it's not fit for purpose. It prevents people from integrating. It contributes towards the deepening of ignorance and it also causes this suspicion. And that's what's wrong and that's what's happening in County Galway people are suspicious, people are getting resentful. He said that while there is a lack of transparency in the management of the centres and in the quality of their operation, he said it doesn't justify the use of inflammatory language towards migrants. He said such language must always be condemned. And then he went on to criticise the government and in particular the Department of Justice for not engaging with local uh, communities. And I think that's where... That's where it always seems to go wrong and when you get protests is when people are not kept informed, when there is lack of consultation, when there's ineffective communication, when they don't share information and suddenly it's sprung on people. That's when people start getting uh, suspicious and that's when you start getting all of this inflammatory uh, language. Uh, He also went on to say that migrants and refugees have already suffered as targets in their country of origin and are then often met with hostility as they get to their journey's end. He said, this is not new. In our own families, Irish immigrants were often met with prejudice and violence in their host country uh, as well. And when I was away over the last two weeks and I mentioned, you know, what a great job John Paul did. One of the programmes I mentioned was the great programme he did from the Castle Hotel in Macroom for our outside broadcast on the Macroom Food Festival. And one of the interviews he did with, is with one of the new refugees who recently moved in to McCroom in what has not been seen as a direct provision centre, but as a temporary accommodation for asylum uh, seekers. And he spoke to a young woman from Syria called Nadia. And I was really, I didn't hear the interview, but I was interested in asking John Paul about how he got on with Nadia and how Nadia and the other asylum seekers were getting on in McCroom. Because I remember on this programme when it was rumoured that the hotel in Macroom was going to be used to house asylum seekers. Again, it was a rumour machine. People were suspicious. People were worried. People didn't know who was coming. People didn't know how long people, they were going to be staying there. Would it be suitable for asylum seekers? But according to this young woman, uh, Nadia from Sirius, talking to her own John Paul, um, they're getting on really well and that local people have been very accepting uh, of them and have made them feel very welcome, which was uh, terrific to hear. But... This is what's going on at the moment in Oogderod in County Galway. People are not happy at all about the possibility of uh, an asylum uh, centre uh, opening. And we have many, many uh, asylum centres dotted all over the country. Did I read some? I think there's 40 in total now. Yeah, we've got 40 centres in 18 counties and according to Minister Flanagan, because it's under his remit, he's the Justice Minister, Charlie Flanagan, uh, he said of the centres, they're all working reasonably well. That's what he said. I don't think he could say they're all working very well, but they're working reasonably well. Uh, So we'll wait and see what comes out from County Galway. But certainly to have between 2 and 3,000 people on a silent protest last Saturday evening, certainly people are not happy about the idea of that asylum centre opening there. 1850 333 103, lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A childcare worker is required. It's for play days preschool and that is in-wing experience is essential. Construction labourers are wanted that's for different sites in West Cork and a person is wanted for telemarketing that's in the North Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork
0: Today replay on C103. Connect with C103 on Twitter now. Search for our Twitter handle at C103 Cork. Court today on Scene 103.
1: Call Patricia with your comment. 1850
4: 333 Now every year, millions of people make the pilgrimage to Lords, drawn by their faith in the miraculous cures attributed to the waters of the shrine. A book that will make you believe in miracles by outlining the Irish connection has been written by best-selling authors Cullum Kean and Una O'Hagan, who I'm delighted to say join me in studio this morning to discuss their latest offering, which is entitled The Village of Abarth. Bernadette, and you're both very welcome to studio. It's always a pleasure to have much. you here. Now, Colin needs nice to yes. explain in advance. He's got a bit of a horse throat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I know you'll do fine. You'll, you'll be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, people who go to Lourdes always talk about what an incredibly special place it is. And from this morning, I can see from texts coming in, when I mentioned we were going to be talking about it, people again talking about just what's so special about Lourdes. What is, is it Una that makes this little village just quite so almost magical
3: I know it's very hard to describe and very hard to come up with an explanation we've talked to loads of people about this I just know from my own experience that when you the, Lourdes is a, a little it's a sanctuary kind of area where the grotto is, the baths and when you walk past that line um, there is just some there's a peace sense. There's um, you have time to think you're in the midst of people who you're kind of putting your day to day concerns away from you. But you also have time to think about what happened there Uh, and what happened there 160 years ago is still you can feel it. Mm. Uh, when you go there, you can feel this holiness, this special place, this place where Bernadette was. And I'll give a story, uh, an illustration that Colum often talks about. We went uh, the last time we were there in at Easter, we were in this huge basilica. We were a bit late and we kind of scooted into a, a, a little area and there was uh, a man in his 40s and he was in a wheelchair. And he may have been suffering from something like motor neuron disease or multiple sclerosis, something like that. He was paralyzed. And his father, who was in his 60s, was looking after him. And his father just was so attentive to him. Both of us were mesmerized by it. He, the father, when he, the, the son wanted something to drink, he very gently took out a bottle of water, you know, gave him a few sips everything that the son wanted, the father was attuned to. And that, to me, summed up the the magic, the specialness of lords. There's people look after each other. You know, there's very few people who get through life unscathed. Yeah. And it's a kind of... It's a place where my mother used to use this phrase, oh, consolation It's a kind of it's an old fashioned word, but maybe it's something to do with that. And and what
4: I loved, and it really comes out in in your book, while everybody, well, a lot of people who will go on on a pilgrimage are going there for the cure.
3: Yes. Uh,
4: And and no doubt, you know, that Mm -hmm. gentleman went with his son in Mm -hmm. the hope of of a cure. And while not everybody gets a cure, Mm -hmm. but people come away with something even more important that peace of mind almost.
3: Exactly and uh, there's a story in the book that I find really moving. It was written by a a guy called John Gibbons. This goes back to the 1920s and I'll tell it to you briefly. It was a young couple um, due to be married. uh, They discovered that she was very, very ill. They hadn't got much money and what they had they spent on doctors. But there was no hope. So they decided they would both go to Lourdes and they did. And John Gibbons met them and he was obviously very taken by them. He noticed that they weren't dressed in their best clothes and like everybody else was dressed well. But these they they were down to their last few pennies. They couldn't afford it. They just Mm. they couldn't afford it. But uh, when they were going back um, when they were returning, he noticed the, the young woman getting on the train and that she couldn't do it. She was she had a still had whatever problem she had before. And he said to Our Lady, you know, couldn't you have spared even a little cure for, for this young woman? And he went um, on the train, he went to the carriage where they were, and he was kind of bracing himself for, for a sad scene. But he said they were so happy, he couldn't believe it, that they were uh, holding hands like you would in the cinema on a Saturday night. And he, pu- he was puzzled about this. And he finally figured out that they had a belief in the afterlife and they knew they were going to be together and um, they would have some tough years, um, but, but that they would be together. And Lourdes had given them this, a peace of mind, a consolation yeah. and a belief in something else.
4: And the, the other uh, point that it comes through in your book, uh, column uh, as well, mm. is <coughs> this idea of people go to Lourdes and the holiday end or the pilgrimage ends or the trip mm. ends. People don't want to leave. And I mentioned that this morning. And I got a number of people saying that very yeah. same point, including a mother who had, has travelled a number of times, including twice with her special needs daughter. And she said, I never want to leave.
6: I know uh, we actually felt that uh, the last time we were there. Uh, we never talked about it while we were there. And I can remember at the airport saying to Una, God, I'd love to spend more time here. And Una said, I was just thinking that. Uh. But it's very interesting you raised that because there was a woman called Rose Lynch uh, who came from Cork City. And we're talking here about 1910s, you know, 1915, that sort of period. Mm. And she wrote two books uh, about Lourdes. And she went as part of the famous 1913 pilgrimage. Uh, she lived for six months in Lourdes. She got to know the family of Bernadette in Lourdes. And, uh, and the one line that stuck with me uh, when I read her book was she ended up by saying, I have never spoken to anybody who didn't want to either stay there or come back there as soon as they could. Mm. It's a remarkable thing. There is something almost indefinable Mm. about Lourdes, and I know I felt it the moment I got off the plane. You're in the foothills of the Pyrenees. It's calm. It's quiet. A bit like Una said, you know... There's no uh, slot machines really there. There's no theater like London. You're not going for any big spectacle like Fifth Avenue in New York. And it is very introspective. Uh, You're given a huge opportunity to think, mm-hmm. and a bit like the story that Una told, you know, I've been through my own problems. I had cancer, and very serious cancer, a twenty percent chance of surviving. But with the sort of people that we came across there and met, I mean, I came away thinking, you know, I'm fine. I'm Hello. doing just Hello. grand. Hello. And uh, and there is something very special. Uh, about Lourdes, and that's why people return
4: and and keep returning. Yeah, I mean, keep we, returning.
6: Yeah, we were up in Knock uh, yesterday doing a book signing up there, and the number of people who would come oh, up to us and we. I say, was in
4: Lourdes. I was in Lourdes. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'd
6: say to somebody, "Have you been in Lourdes?" Yeah. And she'd say, "Well, seventeen yeah. times." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There was yeah. one
3: woman who was there forty-eight times. Oh. And forty-eight times. Oh, <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> okay.
4: Oh, I suppose we we. I, I was going to start at the beginning, but we we'll let's start at the beginning now. Who was Bernadette?
3: Uh, She was Bernadette Subaru. Uh, She lived in a town called Lourdes in the centre of France, as Colm said, in the foothills of the the Pyrenees. She came from a very, very poor family. Uh, They lived in a place called the Dungeon. And if anybody's been there, they'll know what I'm talking about. One room kind of hovel, freezing cold in the winter, uh, boiling hot in the summer. Um, They were so poor that... Uh, She had to, she was sent to be a shepherdess nearby in a town called Bartres when she was 13 going on 14. And um, there she looked after the sheep, helped this woman, Marilag, who was not a nice woman at all with the children. And she must have been so lonely. I just feel so sorry for her. But in January uh, 1858, uh, she'd had enough and uh, she walked all the way back to Lourdes. And then three weeks later, she had the apparitions of Our Lady.
4: And she was going out to collect firewood, wasn't it? She was she sent was. out foraging exactly. almost. She was it there was because of the poverty that she was out that day.
3: Precisely. Yeah, she was. She headed off with her sister and her sister's friend, went to a place they'd never been before called Massabielle, which was a kind of a rocky outcrop. The two girls went ahead of Bernadette uh, and she was trying to cross the river. And she heard a a sound, like a rushing sound, like like the wind in trees. But she looked at the trees and they weren't moving. And she looked back at the the rock and noticed a rose bush was kind of shaking. But behind that, there was a niche and in the niche there was a light. And she perceived then that there was a a figure in white in the light. She later called her a beautiful lady. And she described her as uh, being dressed in white with the blue sash and a rosary beads on her right arm and two flowers on each foot uh, two roses and that was the first of 18 apparitions
4: and she 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 was believed by people of faith because lots of people turned up didn't they i mean the oh, huge numbers started Very, to gather
3: well what I, what i love and Irish people will know this. They, they swore the, the three girls swore each other to secrecy, and within twenty four hours, everybody knew <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. You know, uh, and people started. They started, they turned up in small numbers, but then I think was it about ten thousand people turned yeah. up yeah. by the the last one, which was would have been in July of that year. So people were very taken by her. People were very convinced by what. Uh, she by was what they witnessed. What and by what they witnessed. Yeah,
4: when she, w- when Bernadette was seeing yes. Our Lady, yeah. she almost transformed in front of the eyes of the people that she were there. She did. There
3: was a, mm. a, a man called Jean-Baptiste Estrade, a, a tax official. And so, you know, once you hear those words, you know, yeah. this guy is not going to be bluffed by anything. Yeah. And he went along to kind of... Not really poo poo it, but just to see what was going on. He didn't have any great belief or great faith. And when he went there in a very human touch, he said there were other men there whom he knew who were of his kind of status. So that was important to him. It was very important to him. And that when he saw her, uh, he he watched Bernadette very closely. He said she made the most beautiful sign of the cross. She uh, bowed beautifully. But you knew, he said, that she was having a conversation with someone that you could not see. And he said, almost with one accord, all the men, they took their hats off and knelt down. And uh, hes they were all convinced that uh, Bernadette was seeing Our Lady. By
4: column, not everybody believed her. And I mean, she was interrogated, but she stood up to them.
6: Yeah, she had a terrible time from that point of view. Uh, She was interrogated in the first year or two uh, by the imperial prosecutor an ecclesiastical court of inquiry. There were doctors, lawyers, bishops, archbishops, uh, writers, journalists, everybody came. Uh, a famous Jesuit came, interrogated her. And the inspector of police, uh, Inspector Jacome and these were now older men you know they were learned men and very esteemed confident individuals hugely
4: intimidating
6: she was 14 Um, but she was as tough as nails I mean she was a beautiful girl and a really you know she was a holy but more importantly a nice girl and good to her family good to her young brother and all that but when it came to these people she could stand up to herself like nobody else I mean there's a great story with Giacome, the inspector of police, who's giving her a terribly tough time and he's using uh, an old technique saying things like, well, uh, the Virgin Mary when she spoke to you and she saying, I never said that. And uh, then he would try another way and she'd say, you're putting words in my mouth. Um, And uh, there was another one, she was there with um, a companion and this was in front of an esteemed Jesuit. And he had a particular line that he was pursuing and she didn't like it, she knew he didn't believe her. And after a while of this, we read the whole Mm -hmm. transcript actually, it was amazing. After a while she turned to the friend and she said, he doesn't believe me, we're out of here. (laughs) And they were gone, you know. So she was tough enough to stand up.
4: Yeah, it took great courage as well. But she was so firm in her belief that what she had seen... (laughs)
6: Well, that's the most important thing and I, i'll tell you what gives me great credibility about her even jackamay he wrote up the notes of this event and at the end you know he goes through how awful the whole thing was uh you know the events at the grotto they wanted it stopped and uh, he threatened her with imprisonment everything but at the end he had little paragraphs saying but you know Listening to her, she never changed her story. She was highly credible and highly believable. And that really was the bottom line. Everybody said that about Bernadette.
4: Now, people, of course, go to Lourdes because of the water uh, and and the bats there. You have an incredible story, uh, Una, which I thought I knew everything about uh, Bernadette because I took it as my confirmation name and part and you had to uh, I was educated by Loretta nuns, mm-hmm. And of course you had to pick a saint's name and you had to know the story inside out. So I remember knowing I knew everything I thought about Bernadette. Uh, and I until I read your book and I was, oh I didn't know quite as much as I thought I knew. Explain how the waters, how the spring came yeah, about.
3: Yeah This was uh, the seventh apparition. Uh, ninth. The ninth. ninth yeah was always better yeah. on numbers than me. And it was the twenty fifth of February eighteen fifty eight. And okay. uh, Bernadette went as usual, um to the to Massabielle. And when the the vision appeared the beautiful lady said to her uh, wash in the water and drink of it. And Bernadette presumed it was the river that was nearby and started heading in that direction. The lady made it clear, no, no, it's not there. Eventually Bernadette figured out where she must go and she saw that the, water was, uh, the, the ground was kind of muddy And so she tried to put the mud into her mouth and she nearly got sick three times um, because she thought this is what the lady was going to do. Now, if you imagine what people who were there watching it were thinking, they thought she had gone mad. She was smearing mud on her face. She was trying to eat grass. Uh, So when the when Bernadette, the, the apparition ended and Bernadette went away, there were a lot of people were very upset by this but there were a group of women who went to see what is it that she was tr- that she was looking at or trying to find and they noticed that the ground was kind of wet uh, there were uh, some more men were there and they had shovels with them and they started digging it and the more they dug the more the water sprang up and the faster the water flowed the clearer it became and that was how And nobody had known about this spring before and that day they said uh, there was a witness who said it was about the size of a soup tureen. And of course, after that, then the miracle started happening mm. very quickly. Yeah. And then
4: she went on, then, uh, Column, to become uh, a nun. Mm. Uh, not the easiest of times in, in the no, convent. Very tough. A oh. bit like Theresa. Yeah, of Manizu, I thought you know? the same thing. I was
6: saying, poor old Theresa. St. Teresa, <clears throat> Saint yeah. Teresa yeah, she was got treated the same way. Yeah. Uh, she was unlucky in a way. Um, she was also unlucky, you know, because. She became very famous. Um, A lot of people wanted to get in touch with her. Famous people were talking about royalty, you know, Mm. writing letters. Didn't fancy that too much now in the convent. But she was unlucky because there was a mother novice, you know, the head of the Mm. novices. And her name was Mother Vazu. And she didn't like her. She, was she took a, an
4: instant to slide to her almost, yeah, didn't she? Oh, yeah. yeah. She was
6: a snob. And um, and she used to call uh, Bernadette the shepherdess and the mother superior used to call her a good for nothing. And she had a God dreadful time dreadful. and she would talk about it later on. And she would say how humiliated she was, but she never showed it. You know, she put up with it and uh, but it really was a rough life, terrible life for her. And, and she never know. went back to Lourdes. No, I found that quite again. sad. No. And, do you know, uh, the last day we were there, we went to the railway station where she had left from. And uh, I read an awful lot about this. It took a lot to find out what happened on that day. But all the family came. Uh, her little brother, he was only about 10. Uh, he came as well. And all the uncles and the aunts and the parents, they were all there. And she was dressed up in her best clothes. She had a blue skirt on with black stripes and a little uh, sort of headscarf. Again, the same material. And um, and the little boy, you know, was bawling, crying. And she was saying, but I have to go. She knew she'd never come back. Yeah. She was escaping the fame and the notoriety. That went with it, and her day was done. It's strange to say that, but it had moved on. The apparitions were over, and now Lourdes began. It was a different, almost like two separate stories. And uh, she went away, never came back.
4: And she lived. She she
6: she died quite young. She died at thirty-five, and she had great memories. She used to talk about Lourdes and think about, uh, and talk to other nuns about the visions that she had there, you know, she'd explain them. And uh, she always remembered she had been a shepherdess when she was only 13. And the big thing she remembered when she came up to a terrible death, actually at 35, she could remember uh, there was one beautiful little lamb that she had loved with black eyes, you know, a tiny little one. And she would sing songs about him and tell stories about him. But she never forgot Lourdes. Never return.
4: Ah, ah, singing songs, that's a nice lead into the Ave Maria uh, Una. The torch lit processions with the singing of the Ave. Describe that as best you can.
3: Oh, it just, when you're there, it's just like the hair in the back of your neck mm. just stands up. If you can imagine the setting in a Pyrenean valley with this church up on a kind of a hill, and there could be 10, 20, 30,000 people. It's dusk. The sun is setting and everybody has a candle and a special candle so that uh, they learned very on how to do them so they don't blow out. And it, the light is passed from each candle, from one candle to another. And uh, this, the, the, the Ave Maria starts playing. And of course, everybody knows the Ave Maria, no matter mm. what language yeah. you speak. And it rolls around. It's the the way the song is constructed, everybody can pick up on it. Yeah. No yeah. matter if you get if you, or if you, you have no voice. You'll be all. tone right, deaf and you tone can, deaf, yeah, <laughs> can still do it. Yeah. But then this procession starts snaking up the hill and down again. And it's like the stars have fallen down from the sky. It yeah. is the most it's a, uh, one of the wonders of the world mm. yeah. quite incredible.
4: yeah you you you, you described that beautifully now you in your book you all, you talk about cures and there's various cures in, including uh, some from here in uh, cork um many irish cures the first official one though was charles macdonald Now, this this was this gentleman was a dubliner who was dying of tb yeah. When when he travelled, call yeah, him in nineteen thirty six.
6: Yeah, he was in terrible trouble. Um, he had TB of the spine in the back, in the kidneys, in the lungs, um, on the literally on the legs everywhere and uh, he was given no hope. He had been uh, on the flat of his back, couldn't move and uh, eventually thought the only chance I have is to go to Lourdes. What I love about his story, and I come to the reason why I say this in a minute, he had to be brought by ambulance, stretchered down to the boat in Dublin. He was so unwell. Oh, he was so unwell and stretchered the whole way to Lourdes. But very soon after he went there, uh, he began to feel better and uh, he, you know, he went into the baths. So many stories associated with the water, yeah. of and the baths. He went in again to the baths, got better again, and he came back totally cured. And what I love about it is when he came back, one very clever reporter in Dublin noted that, sure, he had gone there uh, to the boat by ambulance, but he came home. By taxi, and he became—I mean, he went back year after year to Lourdes uh, to help. Number one, and uh, also to have his story, his cure accredited by the Lourdes Medical Bureau, and it was, and it became the first formal uh, Irish cure—not the first Irish cure, but no, the first, first formal, formal one. one and, to a, be and
4: of course, we, like, like that was nineteen thirty-six. He we went by ferry, by train. You know, we 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 forget how easy it is today to jump on a plane and go to Lourdes. Goodness me, those pilgrims really went on pilgrimage when they first
6: travelled. Actually, well observed. And it would take maybe up to three days to get there and three days back. Now, you've got to remember, a lot of people would go to Lourdes because they had disabilities, they were unwell. And uh, back in those days, you didn't have ramps, you didn't have elevators in hotels. You know, you had to go upstairs. Yeah. And people had to uh, be carried if they couldn't walk. had to walk. be carried everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and there is a great image. I'm back to Cork again with Rose Lynch. When she went with the 1913 pilgrimage, the one big image, we talk about this a lot, when they arrived at Lourdes, she got out of the train and she was looking back down the line of carriages, a huge line, and all the people were coming out. And the big thing she thought was, how oh, did so many people make it here?
4: incredible yeah. some of the texts uh, coming in Michael O'Sullivan Castleton Bayer congratulations Patricia what a superb interview with two lovely people calm mind-blowing people uh, they would hold an audience for hours uh, listening it's so interesting best wishes to both of them great to hear them again on your programme especially the lovely Una. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Teresa said Lourdes is a touch of heaven to me it's a cut off from a very busy world and it recharges my batteries every single time you meet so many kind people there and you leave it waiting to return again said Teresa. Michael in Bantry says uh, St. Bernadette there's a black and white DVD the old movie. It's well worth uh, watching and uh, hi uh, Patricia I can testify to the magnet that is Lourdes some 30 years ago an in-law of mine was taken to Lourdes as a last resort with an ailment and was miraculously cured in Thanksgiving they asked a few of us to go out the following year more out of diplomacy see that anything else I decided that I would go I wasn't really a believer I'm going since even when money was scarce I managed to go I can't explain what it is and most people it's personal but it's definitely there I'm a very firm believer uh, says um a for a listener and on and on they go on that whole theme of the pull to go back
3: yeah mm. I know I mean when Colum and I were I remember we were going up the steps Colm said I'd love to stay here and I said "Yes, yeah, so would I and we both said, well, when can we go back? Yeah. it's just something mm. special about it Um hard to define. But you don't have to be terribly religious. I mean, yeah. I don't want to give people the idea that, oh, you know, it's 24 hour rosaries or anything like that. I mean, the fun you can have there, the social life is brilliant. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were young people walking down the street yeah, and having fun and it's not it's not over. You would think with so many People who are, you know, struggling with illness, uh, either physical or mental or whatever, you think it would be very sad, but it's not. Yeah. it's not It's most uplifting. Yeah, and, place. Yeah, and
4: people talk about that connection um, when when people go out as helpers, the way they connect. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've just seen a lovely text in saying only last Tuesday we lost a fantastic uh, lady aged just thirty three. Olia um, Byrne died in her sleep. She went and worked with both the Cloyne Pilgrimage and as a helper at Easter every year for the past fifteen years. The Lord's family are supporting each other. We're all devastated. Yeah because there's that Actually, connection that is beautiful yeah away, there is yeah absolutely listen it's a fantastic book I loved every minute of it you just you seem to do it every single time <laughs> you just seem to produce these books that you can't leave down uh, it really is terrific and as I say it, it is a book that will really make you believe in uh, miracles uh, it is called The Village of Bernadette at the Irish Connection Lord Stories Miracles and Cures and as they say available in all good bookshops yeah, everywhere we yeah. hope. Yeah. Got. Yeah. Colum Keane and Una O'Hagan we we'll look forward to your next visit to the studio <laughs> <laughs> and thank so you for joining us this morning good morning <laughs> to you Nick
5: Richards weekday afternoons from 1 C103 I'm in Skibbereen for the West Cork Food Festival Mark now you do what looks like the most beautiful chocolate
1: I've ever seen
3: we do the best chocolates known to humanity and then we get funky we've got flavours from lavender rosemary and lemon to pistachio and raspberry to blueberry and earl grey tea do you have to taste test all this yes I do I taste (laughs) test and I get the ones that are damaged or fall on the floor join me weekday afternoons from
1: C103
5: there are now even more ways to listen to C103 tune in on your radio go online or grab our mobile app and now you can ask your smart speaker to play C-103.
1: Play C-103. OK.
4: So you can just
5: follow me. Try it now. Try it now. Follow, follow,
0: follow. C-103. Every couple has a story of how they met. My man met my dad at school, uh, in detention. My best friend met
3: his wife at a club through a friend of a friend.
1: And my boss met her fiancé after they got chatting online.
3: Find someone to share your story with at c103dating.ie 24% of Irish people have tried online dating and one in five relationships begin there. At c103dating.ie we have genuine nice people that would like to meet you. Begin your story today by registering
0: for free at c103dating.ie
5: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text
4: lines are currently closed. Once again, my thanks... To Colum Keane and Una O'Hagan for joining us in the studio. It's always such a delight to have both of them in the studio because no matter what the topic, they're just always so knowledgeable uh, about it, and they're just an absolute dream at the interview. And they're just a lovely united couple. I mean, everyone in the building who came in contact with them saying the same thing. They're just so lovely. They're just lovely, lovely people. And it's been, ref- and I'm glad that it came across the airways because the amount of people that are texting in saying, "Are they such a?" lovely couple and they spoke so well. Uh, So thank you to people who took time out uh, to contact us uh, by text and by call and people talking about their own stories, about lures and this attraction that once you go once this urge to go back again and also thank you to the person who texted in about that lovely young woman who suddenly and very sadly passed away on your burn from cove who was very much part of the Lourdes family and uh, worked as a helper with the cloyne pilgrimage been every year for the last 15 years and sadly uh, passed away only last Tuesday and somebody else was on to say I've been to Nords twice I'm only 28 I'd highly recommend it to everyone it's a truly amazing experience and everyone's very welcome to join in the Cloyne pilgrimage in June Anya Byrne that you spoke of was a truly amazing person who will be so dearly missed this text has said I'm looking forward to reading the book and Colm and Una have kindly given us five books to give away and when I saw the other text coming in about Anya, I went and asked them if they would sign a copy especially for anya 's family and we're going to get that We'll we, and they have they've very kindly uh, um, written a little piece inside in the book that we will get to Áine's uh, Anya Barnes' family uh, in Cove now you know they're so desperately grieving at the moment they might be able, be able to read the book now but maybe in the weeks and months and, uh, ahead they may get some comfort from the book but we remember Áine's Burn, and she seems like an incredible young woman who worked at the COPE Foundation and she will be dearly, dearly uh, missed. I mean the big pain For her immediate family, but also then for her wider circle of friends, uh, and and as was put up on her death notice, her extended Cloyne Lourdes family. And as I say, that's been reflected in some of the texts we are getting in uh, today. So we remember Anya Byrne as we've been talking about Cloyne today. May she rest in peace. And as I say, we'll get that book out to Anya's family. But Column. And Una have given us on five other books that they've signed uh, as well to give away. We'll do this by text, so it's twelve fifteen now. We leave. We'll run the text message service for ten minutes. Okay, that'll give you time. So we just need you to text the word "book" along with who you are and where you're from. Okay so get that into 0862 103 103 we'll let it run for 10 minutes and then we'll randomly select five winners and uh, we'll pop a book The Village of Bernadette in the post uh, to each of our winners today so text the word book along with your name and address to 0862 103 103 and yes it is available as they say in all good bookshops it's called The Village of Bernadette The Irish Connection and it really is a lovely, lovely read as you wouldn't expect anything else from Colman and Una. they really are terrific when they decide to put pen to paper and actually when we came off air I was saying well what's next what's next now Una straight away says a holiday <laughs> and she's adamant that they need to get a bit of a break uh, but the other books that Colm would be most famous for. And some of his best selling books have been on near death experience or uh, after death experience and stories from the edge of death and The Distant Shore was one of his uh, fantastic books. He's writing another book on that theme. So uh, we will no doubt talk with Colum again uh, in the uh, soon. I don't know. Una's going to make him take time out. They all, They need to have a break. Obviously writing a book particularly the amount of detail that's in this book on Bernadette that takes a lot of time and a lot out of you as well. Okay, while we are waiting on our competition winners for the book, let me take a look at some of your texts that have come into the programme today. Hi, Patricia. Could you please give a mention? To the Chalvin District Vintage Club, they're holding a Janie Lane Memorial Run. It's on Sunday next, the 6th of October from the Community Centre in Kilbrin. Sign in is at 10.30 in the morning. Cars, trucks and tractors and motorcycles, all are welcome. And the contact uh, for more details is Michael at oh eight seven two seven six nine four seven six. So, all proceeds going to the Irish Motor and Disease Association at the request of Kilbrin man, Pat Nolan, who is a long time officer and member of the Charleville District Vintage Clubs. That's all kicking off next Sunday. We hope you have a great day for that. Uh, Finbar says, Finbar Harrington says, Hi Patricia with regard to people complaining about potholes or drainage issues, my advice is they should contact their local councillor RTD, make contact with them because they will get on to the council and something will get done about it. Yeah, we constantly say that to people when they you know, come on to us about a various bottle. we say have you report, reported it because everyone assumes that somebody else has done it so you either do it yourself, make direct contact yourself with the council. or advice in Finbar, get onto your local councillor, get onto your local TD and draw their attention to it. As Actually, talking of roads, I mentioned earlier that there was an oil spillage at Oliver's Cross. Well, it seems that oil spillage is a lot worse than what I thought because the oil spillage, it stretches from Mallowtown Centre out as far as the Killer turn off near Ballygown National School. And the Gardaí have been onto us and they're advising motorists to take extreme caution on this stretch as the road surface is very slippery. When we got the initial report in, we thought it was just an oil spillage at Oliver's Cross. But obviously, whoever was leaking the oil didn't realise they were leaking the oil. And they came down from Annabella all the way down through the Park Road, down through... That Mallow, then heading out, obviously heading towards Mitchellstown, all along the road before it was actually noticed. So, a lot of oil has been spilled. So, you need to drive, please, with extreme care along that uh, N73 between Mallow and Mitchellstown. The guard, as they say, are aware of it and they're working it, cleaning it up. It's a big, big area now that needs to be dealt with. Drive with care, please. Keep your calls coming in for Annalise, I can see they're coming in, keep them coming, to uh, 0862 103 103, or you can WhatsApp as well or you can also call John Paul, he's taking the calls at 1850 333 We spoke about creches earlier and childcare costs and this was uh, an issue that we kicked off the programme with the high cost of uh, childcare and then we also heard that the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar says that the government will never be in a position to provide free childcare for for everyone and you know, he says in, in fairness he, did, he didn't think that parents expect that but I think what parents want is a little bit of help towards the cost of childcare, the situation that people are in at the moment where they are paying so much in childcare costs that it is almost the equivalent of another mortgage. It's um, It it all really came to light last week when Catherine Sapone, the Minister for Children, released this survey showing how much creche fees are, are costing. Now, there is a variation around the country. Now, that was explained in our programme this morning. If you're in Dublin or in larger city. Cork City would be one any of the larger cities the cost of renting is much more expensive so therefore the 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 price would be higher there but it works out at almost a €1,000 a month for one child to attend a creche that is a lot of money well a texter says Patricia I'm a parent of a child that goes t- to a creche and I think it's a fantastic service it's actually hard to put a value on the service that is provided at crèches creche- Some children are dropped in at 7am in the morning and some will stay there until 7pm at night. Also, I think the staff that work at these creches should be treated better. They, according to this texter, should be treated the same as school school teachers. Now, I know, again, some teachers are unfairly treated, but it's down to government policy. They should make these making these workers temporary workers when in reality they are permanent staff. And that's the problem, obviously, in some creches where if the creche is closed, the staff member doesn't get paid. They're only on a temporary contract, so they only get paid for what they work. But the bigger problem, and it was SIP2 highlighted, this also came out uh, last week. They had a survey out showing that the low pay base for creche workers and it is causing a problem there's a 25% turnover with crash workers people go in some of them very highly qualified so they do all the courses there's a lot of feed tech courses that you can do to get you know up along almost to degree level in childcare they're excellent and they're experienced but if they're not getting paid enough and they suddenly can see they'll leave the industry completely if they see that they can earn a better wage in a different industry and that's what's happening we're losing highly qualified highly experienced Experienced creche workers because of the pay. Now, the providers will say we have all of the overheads, insurance costs, I imagine, are huge. But then you also, if you dig down, are not all creches, but if you dig down, particularly in the cities and in Dublin, if you look at some of the creches that will have a number of different, they're like a chain of creches. There's some huge profits being made, I can tell you, at some of the creches. And you wonder why it's not being passed on to the staff why are they not looking after the staff why are they not paying them properly 1850 jump John Paul is taking your calls text or whatsapp 0862 103 103. you have about two minutes left if you want to enter our competition to win one of these gorgeous books on the village of Bernadette the Irish connection by Colum Keane and Una O'Hagan we need you to text the word book Along with your name and address, please. You don't have to put your telephone number on it because when it comes into us, your number shows up. So just the word book, your name and address to o eight six two one o three one o three, and they very kindly left us five. Signed copies of the book uh, to give away. So we will be uh, calling out five winners in a couple of minutes' time.
5: The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
4: There will be an open meeting tomorrow from 10am to 12 noon at St. Michael's Centre in Bandon for International Older Persons Day with information available on supports and services such as eye care, Meals on Wheels and courses that are available. The Liam O'Connor Show with special guest Brian Kennedy and Boho Comprehensive School Choir will be held in the Church of the Immaculate Conception in Boho That's on Wednesday starting at 8. Tickets are available from the school or from or by ringing 087 Mallow Art Club they'll hold their next demonstration on Thursday night in the Mercy Centre at half past seven the artist Jack Cornhouse will do a portrait of a figure in a landscape background and they do it in a mixed medium. All are very welcome to attend. And Bandon Walking Club. They're holding a two kilometer age friendly walk at eleven AM on Friday morning. They're asking people to meet at St. Michael's Centre, and from twelve fifteen to two fifteen you can discover the range of lifelong learning opportunities which are available at Weir Street in Bandon. At two there'll be a free talk by dietitian Neil. Eve O'Connor that's unhealthy eating over to all ages and at half two in the afternoon there are full day events the community room of the Riverview Shopping Centre there will be a cookery cooking for one at workshop and that's all part of Positive Ageing Week happening in Bandon on this coming Friday and you can stop texting us on our book competition and we'll leave John Paul to randomly select the five winners huge reaction absolutely huge uh, reaction to the to that competition, one of the biggest we've had, I think, in quite a long time. Also lovely in the midst of all the text to see some people writing messages on it, people who have been to Lewis themselves, people who have been once would love to go back, people who go back uh, time and time and time uh, again. It's just, it has an attraction. It just has a pull and a draw once you go there once. You never want to leave and you always want to return. And thank you to somebody who's been on to say that between the stag and Rath Duff on the slow lane there's a car. Now this text the caller says just abandoned on the lane. Presumably it broke down, but the problem is there's no hazards They've walked away from the car and haven't had the hazard lights on. Drivers need to be aware as you'd be upon it before you know it. So there's tricky enough driving conditions out there because it's a dreary old day and you just need to be careful. Just be careful no matter what road you're on but particularly there's another one to look out for. We've already had the oil spillage between Mallow and the Mallow to Mitchelstown road but there between the Stag and Rath Duff on the slow lane. Please be careful. Now when we were talking about Lourdes and the one thing actually that both Una and Colum said for people who go to Lewis, you don't need to be very religious. People seem to go there. They're not people that are even practising Catholics, seem to go there and seem to get something from the place. But there are other people obviously of very, very deep faith who go there and think it's absolutely magical. Well, Betty was on to talk about her grandson who obviously has, a, um, a, I don't know how religious or a high level of faith he has, but he cycles for Ireland Um, according to Betty he was in Belgium recently and he oh Betty said her grandson does have great faith and he always has a medal around his neck and everything was put into the wash after one of the races and in his medal whether the chain broke or it was just clipped on or something but it ended up going into the wash and one of the organisers came out and said, "Who owns this with the medal?" And the grandson realised, "Oh God, that's my medal," and uh, said, "That's mine." And then the organiser said, "Who? What? You know, it's the significance of the medal? Who's the medal?" And it's a medal of Saint Teresa of Lisieux, who Colum and Una wrote about in their previous book. And the guy, the organiser said, and you you know, sort of quizzing. Betty's grandson is to, I suppose, who, who St. Therese of Lisieux was, and do you always wear it? And, you know, and he obviously said, Yeah, I never go anywhere without it. Every race I have it on. And, and, uh, seemingly the, one of the organizers said, No wonder you're always winning and you never have crashes. There's somebody in the, the saints are looking after you. 1850 103. And then seeing as we've been talking about St. Bernadette and touching on religion, et cetera, a really bizarre and I'm, I'm shocked by this Helen contacted us now I don't know where Helen is calling from and, and to be honest I don't know if I want to know because I, I I would need to check for sure that this has happened and I don't want to identify any individual priest in case it isn't the said priest that Helen is talking about Helen said that she was at mass recently and the priest during his sermon said that when he goes into schools to talk to children he feels it's only right and proper to talk to them about hell and explain to them what hell is and to let them understand and know about hell Helen said how can seven year olds obviously he was talking about when he goes in to speak to the communion class of the seven and eight year olds how can seven and eight year olds understand the concept of hell said Helen children she's heard some of them have been very upset when they hear the stories being told by the priest. She feels they're too young. She doesn't think priests should be allowed to go into school and what she describes as terrorizing children by telling them about hell at such a young age. God, I'm really surprised by that. I mean, the old missionary priests, the redemptorist priests, my mother, Lord Mercenary, used to talk about hellfire and brimstone and how they'd go the mission, like it was like a parish mission used to happen. And it was always redemptorist priests and they would be banging the pulpit and the altar else and, and it was all you know you're all damned to hell and she's. And I, you know, I've, I've never witnessed this it was before my time and uh, my mother used to say she's just, just put to frighten everybody she said everyone used to be absolutely terrified coming out of the church and I thought we have moved a long way from that I'm quite taken aback if that is the case that we have a priest in the area who's going in and according to Helen, terrorising, but upsetting children. Well, whatever, I don't know how he's explaining hell to them, but he's obviously doing it in a frightening enough way if some of the children are coming out of class and going home to their parents and are upset by it. And if that be the case, I hope and trust that the parents went back into the school, made a complaint to the school, and that the school gets on to the priest to say, look, you're more than welcome to come. And I'm sure that they, as part of preparation for Communion and confirmation that the priest visits the school. But when you come next, will you lay off the hellfire and brimstone, particularly when you're talking to young children because you're frightening them? 1850 333 uh, Your thoughts welcomed. Let me scroll down through some of the texts that have come in, come in. All right. This is on asylum seekers. Now, I spoke about asylum seekers earlier and direct provision. And with regard to I was calling on some of the comments that were made by the Bishop of Galway who has come out saying that direct provision is not fit for purpose and he went on to speak about the Christian way and the Christian way is to welcome the Christian way is and is seen to be welcoming towards the tr- stranger. And he feels that the, because the direct provision model is not fit for purpose, it's preventing people from integrating and it's contributing towards the deepening, he says, of ignorance, resentment and suspicion. Sean was on listening to those comments about the Christian way of welcoming migrants. And he says, what about using the Christian way for our own people? who are homeless and living and dying on our streets with nowhere to go. Some are even afraid to go to the Simon community because they're afraid of being beaten and robbed. It's every country's duty to provide for their own people. If you were to travel to any other country, America or... Australia for example you would not go there without any money we're opening the floodgates and nobody wants to stand up and say it and stand up and say stop Sean agrees with Deputy Michael Collins from West Cork who on this programme was speaking out against allowing migrants into this country Sean says Deputy Michael Collins is saying what everybody else is thinking but he's the only one with the courage to stand up and call it we should look after our own citizens first stop all this property development for colleges and stop the event centre in Cork Sean says the only centre we want at the moment is a centre to house our homeless and it needs to be run properly by the government so says Sean calling 1850 333 103 and Sandy has also been on on Asylum Seekers, saying granting granting asylum to migrants is not an issue to most people. It's current policy of granting accommodation and putting big numbers into hotels, not into homes, not allowing them work devalues their dignity in McCroom. taking the children to local schools in a bus is resented by some while locals walk similar to children of other homeless Irish families there are over 3,000 homeless Irish children at the moment once granted asylum migrants are then expected to vacate the hospital the hotels or the asylum centres and find work having been prohibited from working from arrival treating migrants and homeless in this way is political box ticking and what does it do? It just builds resentment towards both. Throwing migrants into hotels is not giving them a home and adding to Irish homeless numbers is not a solution, says Sandy. Thank you for that. Two oh eight six two one oh three one oh three. And very quickly, just to look at some of your WhatsApps in to us. Heidi says, uh, Patricia, welcome back. Thank you. Again, we have people coming onto your show with more complaints about roads, be it potholes or people not being able to see road signs, the hedges. And overgrown sides of the roads with weeds, you can't see the lines now at the side of the road. It really is a shame that we pay so much taxes for roads, be it through property tax, car tax, fuel, levies. And we just keep having to put up with these issues on our roads. Yet, if we miss out on keeping our car up to standard and keeping it road worthy with the NCT, they'll be down on top of you like a ton of bricks. Well, Yet we seem to let the council give us the bums rush as to keeping the roads up to a good condition. It's about time we started sending in bills for damage to our cars. And that was something I mentioned that we've seen people do in the past and they've been quite successful. And Breda in Malla was on to say, could you just inform people that I've seen in the park what looks like two dogs lost and running around. They're running up and down by the fence by the river in case anybody's missing dogs at the moment in the Mallow area have you tried looking in the park says Breda in Mallow and our final WhatsApp: hi Patricia it's that time of year again where did the summer go could I please ask you to give a shout out to Michael Welton's social dancing classes they begin tomorrow night Tuesday the 1st of October in Tots Pub Ballygortine at 9 o'clock and then on Thursday night 3rd of October they'll be in the Pike Hall at 9pm beginners are welcome now Anne says, if you never thought you could do it, then come along and let them show you how easy it is to quick step, foxtrot, waltz, etc. You can make new friends at the same time, get fit and have fun. So there's, we're going to do social uh, dancing. Tots Bar, Ballygurteen, Tuesday nights, tomorrow night, 9pm, and then Thursday night in the Pike Hall at, at 9. And that's social dancing with Michael Welton. Uh, thank you for the heads up on that. Now, our winners of the books... These are The Village of Bernadette The Irish Connection Colum Keane and Una O'Hagan Mary Murphy Ladies Bridge Congratulations Mary Sheila O'Connell Belgooley. Mary Murphy Oh two Mary Murphys This time Mary Murphy Montanotti Anne Walsh Murrah In A Scheme And Teresa Palmer In Mallow Congratulations All ladies All the 80s winning today. Congratulations, we'll have a copy of the book in the post to each of you. And once again, our thanks to Colm and to Una for kindly leaving behind those copies, all signed. 1850-333.
5: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully. With expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
4: Three one zero three. Going to take a break, and we're back with Annalise our nutritional therapist. If you've got a question, get it into us now. You can text her WhatsApp 103, 103. This is the Court Today replay on C one zero three. And just getting a text in to say there's an oil spill out the Killarney Road, and I'm going to get that checked because we've been talking all morning about the really bad oil spill that runs from Mallow. Out the Mitchellstown Road, it starts, it seems to have started from Annabella and then down along the Park Road and on out. Obviously, somebody was leaking the oil and didn't realise it and it's made road conditions quite slippy. But that's out the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road. I'll just check and see is that the same? Is that part of the same oil spill or if it's a different one? So just be careful. Be absolutely careful out there uh, on the roads. Now, Annalise Trissette, our nutritional therapist, uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Annelise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Can I first of all just pick up on last week and a clarification that you wanted to make? This was to do with the high creatine in the kidneys and oh, elevated yes. liver enzymes? Yes, I think I, I got... Just a bit mixed up
0: between the two of them, Patricia, I was answering probably more about elevated liver enzymes. So the answer about what would you do about high creatine in um, levels in the kidneys? Now, high creatine is generally as a result of a number of issues. It might be that you're eating a very high protein diet so that your body is having to break down too much protein and therefore creatine becomes elevated in the kidneys. It could be that you're on a very, very low calorie diet and your body has to start breaking down your muscle to provide the body with protein and um, so therefore there would be creatine in the kidneys as well or it can be a sign of kidney dysfunction so really it's about addressing the issue as to why the creatine would be high um, and then herbs that would support the kidneys generally would be nettle is wonderful for the ki- kidneys and there's another herb as well called solid dago which is very good for the health of the kidneys and I think it would be important to avoid other things that could possibly irritate the kidney if it's you know to make sure it's filtering well and that would be things like alcohol and caffeine and a very high salt diet um, and a very high calcium diet. So those would affect the way the, ki- the the kidney would be filtering and its function. so one of those should be the answer. Okay.
4: <laughs> for that question. And then also reverting back to last week, two texts in early this morning saying what did Annalise recommend for nail fungal infection?
0: Yeah, so the the best thing in my book, Patricia, is something called grapefruit seed extract. It's actually the extract from the seeds of the grapefruit. So you can imagine it's exceptionally bitter. And it's a very powerful antifungal agent. So it it works great for a mouthwash as well, if you've any bit of thrush. Um, and to use it as a for fungal toes, the best thing to do is to do at least two or three times a week, do a foot bath where you put in 10 to 15 drops of the citrus, the liquid um, extract of the grapefruit seeds, and soak the feet well so that it gets right underneath the nail. And then daily, you could just dampen a cotton pad and you could um, put on a few drops and wipe it around the area. And bear in mind that the fingernails take about six weeks on the fingers to grow from the bed at the bottom to the top. And your toenails loom much
4: slower uh, in terms. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, like, you're not going to see an overnight success. You, What you're looking for is fresh new nail that comes up and Come, is yeah, not infected. That you
4: know that it's clearing.
0: Yeah, and yeah. the other thing, Patricia, as well, is that often footwear can reinfect. So, you know, make sure that when you're taking your socks off um, that they get washed in a really hot wash.
4: Oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, You're yeah. clearing it up and then you're it back again by putting back on the, uh, the sock that has the infection on it. Exactly uh, hi, uh, Trish, could you ask Annalise what did she recommend for Vertigo?
0: So now Vertigo is an interesting one, Patricia, because some people are plagued by it and generally it's as a result of um, something usually a virus that has caused inflammation in the ear canals that are responsible for our balance. So it's like a relation of the flu virus, this virus that can infect that inner ear. So what happens is you actually feel, you can feel nauseous because it's like being on a boat that's, you know, seasick, that horrible nausea feeling. Mm -hmm. Balance is affected, you feel very dizzy. So the goal really is to try and bring down the inflammation in the inner ear and the best supplement I've found for that is something called uh, Nature's Plus Age Loss Hearing Support. And there are a couple of things in there that are very good for um, the inflammation of the ear canals, but also there's a bacteria in there that's very important for the whole um, inside of the ear and the sinuses and the salivary canals. So, I've had good success with that. Not everybody gets a success, Patricia, but it is there is a good success generally with it. And I would say that you should take it for no more than two months. If it's not working after two months, it's not going to work for you. Um, and the other things then that can cause vertigo, there is a, um, a syndrome called Meniere's Syndrome. And that, again, you know, you might get some results with um, the age loss hearing support by Nature's Plus But the truth is, is that generally is kind of an ongoing issue. So you're better off going to the doctor and having the, um, you know, the seasickness tablets that they generally prescribe for it.
4: Hi, Annalise. I've been diagnosed with osteoporosis. I'm in my mid-60s, I'm active and I have a good diet. Please, could you suggest the best calcium foods as I can't take calcium tablets? Thanking you in advance.
0: Yeah, and there's loads of calcium-rich foods, Patricia, that people can take. I'm not a big fan of high doses of calcium because... Most research has shown at this stage that if we put too much calcium in, it can harden the cholesterol in the arteries, so it can increase your risk of heart disease. And also if you're prone to kidney stones or gallstones, it can increase your risk of those. So I'd much rather see people take a vitamin D and a vitamin K supplement. A 3 and K2 are very good for helping you to absorb calcium from your diet. And the K2 is very good for you to get it onto your bone healthily and safely. So the calcium-rich foods, when we think about calcium, we mostly think about dairy. But actually, there um, are many other calcium-rich foods that we should be cl- including in our diet. So nuts and seeds are excellent. So putting a tablespoon of ground linseeds or chia seeds, pumpkin or sunflower seeds onto your cereal in the morning. Green leafy vegetables are great as well. So include a portion of those with um, you know, lettuce in your lunch or uh, broccoli with your dinner, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. They're all excellent sources of calcium as well almonds are one of the best nuts so you could drink almond milk if you can't take dairy in your diet but if you can take dairy you can have a yogurt every day you could have um you know some some small piece of cheese it's very high in fat so don't take too much better off with yogurt and milk is a very good source also um other things like figs and dates are good sources so you could use those to sweeten your breakfast cereal in the morning and oranges, strangely, are also a very good source of calcium. So include one of those a day as well.
4: All right, so there's lots of food there. And actually, I, I'm assuming that your answer there is, has answered Liz, who who's, has a, a calcium question. She said uh, a question on calcium supplement from my mum, who uh, has been diagnosed or takes oral, oral calcium she's aged 72 but the tablets from the GP are simply not agreeing with her so any recommendations so everything that you recommended for our last listener would, would be the same for Liz's mum?
0: Yeah absolutely and you know Patricia a lot of people don't want to ignore doctor's advice to take a calcium supplement and that's fine as well but take a calcium supplement that is something like either calcium citrate or um, that's a, a maybe an ocean um, version of calcium that's coming from algae actually it's one of the, some of the new research now are showing that there's certain little hard shell, um, shells algae that are microscopic and they're a wonderful source of ocean calcium so calcium citrate or ocean calcium are much tolerated so uh, if you can't take a high dose of the calcium carbonate which generally is like the famous chalk it spots in those um, calcium chews and i think idios is another one uh, if you can't tolerate those with your stomach go into the health shop and get a calcium supplement there and it'll be much easier
4: on the system. And is that common that some people can't tolerate the calcium? It is very common because because
0: it is like chalk. Yeah. So it can be very, it can be rough on the system definitely. People would feel quite sicky and uh, for some people it it just doesn't, it doesn't agree with them at all. It's quite a common
4: thing. Okay, here's poor old Denise, question for Annalise please. I've got this awful itch across my shoulders and down my arms. I've tried antihistamines and creams and I've even had an allergy test. Uh, what would annalise recommend?
3: Well,
0: Yeah, it's a hard one, Patricia, really. But the first thing I would look at is medication. And is it a side effect of any of your medications? Because it's one of the most common causes of itching that I see in the shop. Um, and some people are driven absolutely demented by it because even antihistamines don't seem to manage that tearing itch. So it might be that you've been on the same kind of medication for years, but maybe you've been switched from the brand to the generic, and the generic one doesn't agree with you. So even if it is, um, you know, if you're thinking about your medication, you think, no, but I'm on blood pressure for years, check and make sure that in the pharmacy that it's, you know, the same one that you have been taking all those years. So that will be one of the first causes. The next thing then would be maybe to try supplement something like stinging nettle. This can work very well to kind of, relieve what's called urticaria or or hives or itch. And the gut plays a massive role as well, Patricia, in managing um, any histamine kind of conditions like rashes or itches or hives. So there are certain bacteria in the gut that will produce histamine. And if you've got a lot of those in there, when you take in a little bit of histamine in a food, which would be generally fermented foods like cheese and vinegar, um, pickles, any wine, any of those fermented foods, it can actually send you over the edge into this um, total, you know, histamine phase. So a probiotic is often a good one. Um, One of the ones that I'd recommend is just the Optibac for daily use one actually has some bacteria in there that have been shown in studies to relieve, you know, to relieve high histamine itches.
4: Okay, and and stay on the whole multivitamin bit because the listener wants to know is there a multivitamin, either tablet or liquid form, that doesn't contain calcium or magnesium?
0: Um, there's probably some that would contain little to no calcium and there would be very small amounts in magnesium in most. So calcium and magnesium, you see, actually are very important, Patricia, not just for um, for uh, bones, but they're also important as electrolytes for nerve transmission within the body. So a good multi probably would have a little bit so that they're not overdosing you with other electrolytes. So I think unless there is a really strong reason that you don't want to take calcium or magnesium in a supplement I think having them in very low amounts and generally it's under 10% should be fine for most people
3: Okay
4: and let me where is that oh hi Uh, Annalise. uh what would you suggest I can take for pain relief I've pain down my spine I'm aged 53 now I'm assuming this is somebody who's taking pain relief but is looking for alternatives
0: mm. maybe yeah, the natural route is kind of hard for pain management, Patricia, really. The best I could suggest there is the cannabis oil because that does have some immediate effect on pain. In actual fact, the CBD um, cannabinoid element of it actually works the same way of one of our own natural painkillers, um, one of the painkillers we produce in our body ourselves. So it can bind onto the same receptors and give you a pain relief naturally. But it's a, a difficult one for some people who are in chronic pain. It's just not going to be strong enough, and the natural route is really to treat the cause of inflammation. So I presume if it's in the spine, it's arthritis or it's maybe a, a you know a disc that's uh, inflamed or collapsing. So taking a supplement that supports the joints and the cartilage between joints in the spine and between the vertebrae would be very important, and something with maybe uh, something like boswellia and turmeric. They're great natural anti inflammatories. And then something with collagen or hyaluronic acid or even glucosamine is another one and chondroitin. They're all good for helping to rebuild or to maintain cartilage in between joints and vertebrae. So go for the root cause as opposed to the, the, the symptom.
4: And Mary says, hi, Anneliese. Is there anything you would suggest I take for panic attacks? I am on a blood thinner.
0: So, yeah, they're horrible, actually, panic attacks, people, people who get them. It's because there's very physical um, symptoms as well as, you know, as well as the stress side of the mental stress side of it. So people's hearts race. They feel like they're getting a heart attack. Um, and really what it is, it's just a massive rush of adrenaline around your body because your body thinks it's an immediate threat and needs to escape. So everything is kind of ramped up to high dough. Um, so... A number of supplements can help, um, I think probably um, in the long term to take something like maybe L-theanine is very good, lemon balm, these are very calming, um, natural amino acids and herbs that you can take that are great for kind of, you know, suppressing that fight or flight side of the of the nervous system. Cannabis oil is another one that I would recommend um, because just like it binds onto the pain receptors, it also can seem to act as a calming neurotransmitter in the body. So I've seen great success for people who are suffering from anxiety using the cannabis oil. Now, the cannabis oil is difficult, Patricia, uh, because the sweet spot is very different for everybody. So whether you're taking it for anxiety or for sleep or for nausea with chemo treatment or for pain management, you may need to play around and take sometimes double, treble and even quadruple doses to find what your sweet spot is. But I would say that that could be another good one for the management of panic attacks. And then the last thing I'd say is the Dr. Clare Relax Blend is a great one because, again, there's a blend of herbs in that that are designed to sort of rebalance the stress management system if it's been gone and, you know, put into overdrive. So you might have a a short-term... You know, benefit but in the long term you'll get a very good benefit from something like that.
4: Okay and very finally somebody says does Annalise have a book for sale with all of the advice that she gives?
0: <laughs> I don't Patricia. But you actually. should. Well maybe it's something I'll think about. I yeah, think um,
4: absolutely think you should it would be a bestseller I'll tell you that. Yeah, thanks, we'll thanks, talk to you next week thanks for right, that. Thanks bye, lot, bye bye that's bye. Annalise Driselle, the Health Hub Times Square uh, in Balancolic and Colligan. of course you can always pop into her she is a mine of uh, information ok I've got to wrap it up there for today once again congratulations to our winners we'll be getting the books in the post the wonderful books from Colum Keane and Uno Hagen. somebody actually I saw by WhatsApp wants to you know the price of the book it's uh, the recommended retail price is 14 uh, 99 uh, Mary Murphy in Ladiesbridge Sheila Connell in Belgouli, Mary Murphy in Montanati Anne Walsh Murat and Eskeen and Theresa Palmer in Mallow have all won a signed copy of uh, The Village of Bernadette. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I'll be back with you tomorrow morning at at 10 o'clock on to the I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon.
3: Martina O'Donoghue Make C103 part of your drive home With up-to-date traffic information and local news Your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day Plus our feel-good story And as many of Cork's greatest hits That we can fit into three hours Join me, Martina O'Donoghue Every weekday from 4 to 7 C103